0: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. Hey chickens, welcome back. We are finally. Hey, we're continuing Matt's missive. Uh we're up to The Girl Who Waited. Um which is uh it's we're into the Matt Smith era. We're in season 6 of the show. Uh and The Girl Who Waited was the one where Amy got old. Um uh, just in case you don't, you need a, a quick recap. <laughs> That says, who else ended this episode wishing that the Doctor and Rory just gave up and took older Amy with them? (laughs) She's far more relatable. Weirdly, I always kind of think of Alice in Wonderland with this episode. The garden scenes with the wild topiary look very much like the Tim Burton movies. And I guess the whole thread of being through the looking glass hammered at home. The ending's pretty cold, especially for Doctor Who standards. Poor Amy. Um, Yeah, it is... It is something that, you know, sometimes with a science fiction um, conceit, uh, there is the idea of just kind of ignoring how people might feel about things. Um, and I guess given that, you know, uh, we've had the whole thing with uh, Amy's baby um And they don't really delve into, you know, just how psychically scarring that kind of thing is. Like, it doesn't really feel like they dealt with um, how it would feel to have your baby, you know, turn into a pile of goop. Um, Like, and then you find it on a spaceship and then it's kidnapped and turned into a psychopath and you find out this woman you've known for years has always been your daughter and so was your best friend at school. Like, it's a lot to kind of deal with and no one really deals with it. Um, And then again, in this episode, it's like, uh, we're going to sacrifice the old you who we've become quite fond of uh, to get back the young you. And it's... Yeah, like you never and, – and, you know, old school science fiction wouldn't have dealt with that. It would have just been like, oh, we got back to the young one. Yay, let's move on. Um, but, you know, there's uh, we live in a time now where people, especially actors, will go, honestly, how do I feel about this? Like I feel like this is not okay. <laughs> I remember watching a um, – I think it was like a – a commentary um, for one of the old Doctor Whos when uh, Elizabeth Sladen was still alive. I think it was Pyramid, Pyramids of Mars. And she was talking about the scene where the Doctor takes her to 1980. And she's like, this can't be 1980. I lived in 1980. Um, and when she's watching it, like like not now, obviously, because it's been a while. Um, But when she was watching the DVD for the commentary, she's like, oh, I feel like I should have reacted differently to that. Like, there should have been more horror about what I was seeing. But, you know, (laughs) just look at a green screen. They couldn't see the hideous, wasted landscape. Um, But, yeah, I I thought that was interesting that, you know... And I feel like that's something that's kind of crept into science fiction a bit more. And I really appreciate it. Sometimes... It gets a bit frustrating. Um like I feel like sometimes the sitting around and crying on <laughs> Star Trek Discovery really derails the uh <laughs> the impetus of those episodes. Um but there is kind of like a dispassionate uh attitude required for some types of sort of the science part of science fiction and yeah, occasionally you don't get the the emotional wallop. Like, I don't know if anyone's watched the um Monarch Monster show, which is, you know, the Godzillaverse. Uh but the American Godzilla verse, not the you know, because it's a whole different thing. Anyway, if you want to see some great emotional uh science fiction, then I highly recommend Godzilla minus one. <laughs> because it's just like you get all the giant stomping gorilla business, but then there's an actual you know, human story that kind of flows through it. And, you know, the contextual stuff uh, that goes on with Japan in World War II, their role, the role of people in Japan. Like, just it's a lot. Um, what the Americans did to Tokyo, uh, it's it's full on. Anyway, it's, it's kind of... I feel like, you know, this episode spends more time dealing with... Uh, sacrificing old Amy for young Amy um and the emotional stakes than any of the the sacrificed baby business. So yeah, I'm still thinking maybe I'll go back and watch all these as well and then I can have when we get to the end of the season six sum-up, which will be coming in about two episodes. Um we can talk about uh the whole thing and I'll I'll have sat down and watch them all again. Because I don't think I've watched many of these twice. Uh, so that might be something to do. Um, next episode is the God Complex in Matt's Missive, and Matt says, brown. <laughs> That's all you need to describe this episode. It's brown. <laughs> I guess it's supposed to recreate those old 1970s hotels, but it makes for a very bland and boring visual for the whole story. It's a great idea, however, that everyone has their worst fear hidden in a room to confront them. Did we ever find out what was in the doctor's room? But again, such a great idea feels to be a little more than the core concept initially thought up with very little story around it of any note. And David Williams is more than a little annoying in our first encounter with the Tivolians. Um, oh, that's all right. David Williams was like a, a rat man. <laughs> was, it, was he kind of like a rat faced? Yeah. David Williams is always like a good idea, and then he's there, and you're like, oh, that's right. You're David Williams. Um, oh, that's probably un- uncharitable, but you know, I feel like that. You know, when you watch, um, if you've ever watched Britain's Got Talent, which I'm not a huge fan of, but occasionally you'll be. Plowing through YouTube, and one of them will come up, and then he'll be talking and be like, No, shushy. Um, like I've been, uh, I've been plowing through a bunch of old Agatha Christie's lately just because if you want to learn about plotting and really deft character uh, um, building, like sometimes her characters can be cardboard cutouts, but sometimes, like within a couple of sentences, she's really created someone, and you're like, Oh, I get this person. Um, but yeah, I tried to watch uh, the David Williams and Jessica Rain Partners in Crime, Tommy and Tuppence, and it was not good. I watched like half an episode. I was like, no. Nah. I did watch the other day, though, uh, an episode of Agatha Christie's Marple, which I do not love. Like, I had to watch a lot of them for work. It was someone's topic. Um, and I had to do the, when I was, a, before I became a senior writer, I was just doing whole topics, and it was a slog. Because, yeah, they're, they're difficult. But I watched one called Towards Zero, which is not bad. And it does have Tom Baker in it, who turned 90 this week. Happy birthday, Tom Baker. Yes, we we don't share a birthday, but it's near enough to each other. Um, <laughs> it's near Rovenmine's birthday. Uh, but, yeah, happy 90th birthday, Tom Baker. Um, but, yeah, he was, uh, he was quite camp. I remember reading- or was it, in a, again, in a commentary on a video uh, where he was talking about it and he didn't realise, like, he's like, oh, they don't do rehearsals. They just, like, go straight into filming. And it was Towards her I was co-directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. <laughs> Um, So, it's kind of, yeah, it's a really interesting thing. It's got a great cast. It's got Julie Graham in it. Um, uh, Eileen Atkins is in it. Uh, Julian Sands. Um, it's, yeah, it's really cute. Oh, and, uh, what's his face? Em- Emma Thompson's husband. Um, you know, Willoughby. <laughs> So, all I can think of him as is Willoughby. Willoughby. Uh, he's got a name. Is it Greg Wise? Is that his name? Anyway, um, it's really cute. Uh, Saffron Burrows is in it, who's in one of my all time favorite films, Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> Deep Blue Sea is like, it's a terrible film. Don't go and see it because I said it's one of my all time favorite films. It just has like one of the most spectacularly stupid moments. Of all time, um, which I don't want to spoil, but it is a rousing speech made by Samuel L. Jackson. Um, I think, is LL Cool J in it as well? An ice cube? I don't know who else is in it. <laughs> like every really dodgy horror film during that period, like Anaconda, either had an ice cube or an LL Cool J. That the rules. I to be in it. Uh, more from Matt's missive in the next episode.